This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. So now we welcome you to Buy Into It, Computing Technology with Dan Salmon. Hello. And Vanessa Taholka. Uh, thanks for joining us. We have a really exciting show coming up tonight, the sort of show that makes it easy to jump into that kind of gruesome weather we're having out there and just get to studio, race here after work and go, I'm really looking forward to these conversations. First of all, we're going to be chatting to Good Game series creator and producer Janet Carr, who's um, from ABC2 and yeah, we're going to chat about Good Game a little bit. Then later in the show, VR is just so hot right now and we cannot stop getting excited about VR events popping up all over Melbourne. Um, there is going to be a VR stream at the Fringe Festival this year. So we are going to chat to some of the creators and organisers behind that event and we couldn't be more chuffed about it. Before we get there... What's happening in news, Mr. Salmon? Well, um, there's there's been a bit of uh, admission from the government that um, the census debacle ah. that we spoke about a little bit while ago um, may have, I suppose, uh, dented the confidence. And we did talk about this on the radio show. Oh, no, not on the radio thought show, but when it actually happened, we talked about that it might affect people's confidence in government services. And it turns out that the government kind of agrees. Um, the Prime Minister has a special cyber security advisor, in case you didn't already know, uh, Alastair McGibbon. Uh, he said that the uh, shutdown of the census website will have a, last, a, quote, lasting effect on the public trust of the government to deliver digital services. Now, um, though those who are perhaps were living under a rock might not have realised that the census uh, was online for the first time this year, a couple of uh, weeks ago and it crashed pretty spectacularly with uh, uh, denial of service attacks and all kinds of various bits and pieces that stopped the uh, census from being fill outable. And lots of things that were being said and then not backed up. So people saying we have had a distributed denial of service attack and then other people saying no they haven't. It was just it didn't cope with the numbers. So all of the all of the kind of disinformation along the way I think has really um, been damaging unfortunately. It has been, and uh, it kind of is disappointing that, you know, as the government tries to move the population towards e-government, towards more government delivery of services, and we talk about this a lot, people are not going to have a whole whole lot of confidence in being able to access services online or going to your MyGov account or doing your tax on uh, via the web when something as kind of fundamental as the census and as high profile as the census just doesn't work. Yeah, that's um, that's a real shame. Mm. Um, I do believe that we spoke to Alistair McGibbon like a year ago and he was very cluey, so it's nice to know that he's um, advising uh, Premier and Cabinet, not Premier and Cabinet, Prime Minister <laughs> Prime and Minister. Cabinet. Oh, well, yeah. that's right, federal government. That's well, it, yep. federal government level. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of good to know. Yeah. Uh, look, there was a nice little piece of news. It crosses a little bit into financial, unfortunately, but um, it was about Pocketbook this week and Pocketbook's an app that helps people manage their finances. And I think it's a really sweet app and it's one developed by a couple of guys in Australia. 
And they've just um, been acquired. So this company called Zip Money has raised $20.6 million um, as it got ready to acquire Pocketbook. So what what um, does Pocketbook actually do? Have you used it yourself? Yeah, or? I have used yeah, it so, myself. So what, what does it do? So what it does is um, most of your online banks these days will let you go in and have a breakdown of your expenditure and really think about the categories that you're spending and, and how that's going. But what they're not usually able to do is that um, most people have multiple sources of putting their money. So one, one place for savings, another place for this, another place for that. So lots of people use high interest accounts, for example, for to, to shoot off their savings. Um, or maybe they've got, you know, a home loan and a mortgage and tie all those things together, but then they've got an account that they share with a partner to do something else or whatever. Mm. So you can't often go to just one bank and look at a breakdown of all your expenditure. And plus, what the banks offer is pretty basic um, in terms of breakdown. So if you get the app, you can sync up multiple different accounts that you put money in. And you can show the relationship between, you know, when you're transferring money between things. You can look at income coming in, income going out. You can categorise transactions. Uh, it gives you a lot of visibility and control over where your money's going. But I think it also then lets you set targets. So what is your safe to spend amount for this time? So, so it's like, it's like auto budgeting for absolute It dummies. really is. So that you can set up when you want to learn. So you're on the weekly or daily, mm. you know, are you on track for your safety spend? That, that sort of thing. That, that's, I mean, that's a really, it sounds really useful and it it's, sounds like something that would be lucrative for a large corporation to well, want yeah, to purchase. It's, it's pragmatic and um, I think it really, you know, it's it's got a social element to it that sort of that sort of control yeah cool like putting the power back in people's pockets i guess absolutely so do 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 we anticipate any changes to how pocketbook does things after the uh no but what they've said is that they're going to use some of that money to um to expand the services that they do so it's all a bit vague at the moment um, but I guess, you know, the, it looks like the, the co-founders of Pocketbook are happy about it and you have to be happy for a little, you know, Aussie success story like that. Totally, totally. Yeah, so good for them. Absolutely. Good for not perhaps everyone is the new iPhone. I, I, we have to discuss yeah, we it. Have to discuss we have to discuss it. We just haven't. And so, um, yeah, again, in, in case you have been living under a rock, the, the uh, new some I, of our favourite people. So, yeah, look, I love me being under my <laughs> own personal rock, but I have wasn't there for the last couple of weeks, so I know that the um, iPhone is being the new iPhone, the iPhone Seven being released as we speak, doesn't have a three point five millimeter headphone jack. Now, as someone who loves listening to music and loves having it all on the one device, that annoys me to say the least um i'm lucky enough to have a pair of bluetooth headphones but i think it's not fair that they're forcing everyone to either kind of get a bluetooth set or to get a kind of weird little adapter that comes with it for the lightning port there are a few issues here for me Mm. um i think that anyone who's ever had a bluetooth headset will will know that they require charging also absolutely and it can be great for short-term use like when you're exercising not so great for the um, the rest of the time when you might want to use it for a really long time and then maybe your phone needs charging as well as your headphones needing charging. Absolutely. And you've got fewer options to charge all of these things. Totally. If, you, yeah. if you're not able to listen to the phone, uh, listen to your headphones and charge your phone at the same time, which, you know, with the historically crap battery life that uh, most mobiles have, at yeah. some point you're probably going to need to do both. Actually, it's already been a frustration um, with my... I've got an iPod Nano. It's mm. quite 
quite an old one. And uh, I love it because to run with, it's fantastic. It's light. You know, it's easier to waterproof than, than the big sort of phones and things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make one muscle of your arms get bigger than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> also helpful. Yeah. However, you cannot actually have your, your iPod Nano ch- plugged in and charging at the same time as you listen to radio. It won't, it won't tune in. That was one of the nice things about the iPod Nano that you could get an FM signal like Triple R on it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a thing that we've heard a lot of people complaining about. Um, when we look at the analyst reports, a lot of them are saying we think this is a misstep. We think that the people who care about this are probably more passionate about the lack of this option than uh, everyone who doesn't care. So it could really be one of those changes that factors into decision-making about this, this phone. It, it, it could very well be, but then at the same time, historically, when people get up in arms about a change in technology, a couple of months later, everyone's forgotten about it's it. It's normalised. Yeah, it becomes normalised. And I think that we're possibly on track for this to happen. And are, you, are you concerned about losing your your earbuds? The I'm, amount of times I, dr- I just drop my headphones when I'm on public transport oh, and like, they're attached to me. Exactly. Tiny little, like, I mean, I don't know if you have those of us who've seen them on photos. Like, it's the same size as an Apple earbud is now, except it just has no cable. So... I don't know what you're expected to do if it falls out and then, you know, you just have nothing to find and you can't listen to anything. I don't know. I'm going to stop ranting now because it's just getting inarticulate. All right. Well, it was the conversation we had to have. Yeah, and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> this evening, we're really happy to welcome virtually to the studio Janet Carr. She is the creator and series producer of Good Game who are about to celebrate their 10th birthday and we can't believe it. Happy birthday, Janet. It's not too early, is it? Hi, Janet. I've been celebrating. Oh, sorry. We just missed that there. What? Oh, I, I just said you're not too early at all. We're, we're celebrating hard. It's good. Excellent. We're really happy to hear that. Now, I'm a big fan of Good Game here. And uh, for those listeners who uh, might not be aware of it, um, it's it's a, a show that reviews computer games and, and explores lots of ideas about the creativity behind computer games. And you know, exactly, games, yeah. yeah. On and it's on yeah, ABC it's, Two. It's on ABC Two, eight thirty every Tuesday night, and has been for the last uh, ten years. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think video games are the entertainment medium of our time. They're worthy of serious analysis. They're also great fun. Um, you know, 90% of Australians call themselves a gamer these days. So, uh, they definitely deserve a place on the, on ABC, I say. Absolutely. And, um, was that an opinion that was shared 10 years ago by the people at the ABC? Did you have to do a lot of convincing to get, uh, get the show on there? I did have to do a lot of convincing. Um, I, I knew, because I was one, that gaming was way, way bigger than the you know, uh, mainstream media ever portrayed it. It was back then kind of seen as a niche thing, you know, mainly done by teenage boys. I knew that wasn't the truth because I was playing a lot myself <laughs> and I said to the ADC, look, let me make this show. I promise you I will bring an audience. Um, and we have. And so, yeah, it's been great. So as um, ABC2 has grown, you've been a real, you know, a real shining light on that program. But has it become a lot more competitive to get some of that, that programming um, scheduling space on the ABC2 channel? Um, well, ABC2 have always been extremely supportive of us. And so, you know, we haven't really asked for any more. We've only asked for our half an hour um, every week, which they've been extremely kind to give us. I mean, we had to fight 
um, a little bit harder to get Pocket, which is our daily show, um, because that isn't broadcast on the television. Um, so that's, you know, sort of trying to get the funding for that. Um, and then, of course, we've got the kids show as well, and that's, that's funded by um, ABC3. So we, we're extremely lucky that we are very, very well supported, really. But I still don't think they really understand what it is that we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. We understand you. But um, <laughs> it's um, it's it's interesting because you know, ten years ago, you know, we, a lot, very few of us would have even watched ABC Two. It's got to the mm-hmm. point now where you know the 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 hosts and the people who are associated with Good Game are kind of known beyond that that kind massive of massive celebrities. Yeah, would say. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What? How did you like know when you'd realize that you kind of broken through to to kind of the beyond the gaming community? I think it was. Actually, the first time we were let out of the studio um, and and got to be out in the real world and people came. And that was a real kind of like, oh, my word. Like, look at these people. And it it actually happened at an expo. And we, you know, typical ABC, we couldn't pay um, to actually have a space at the expo. And the guys (laughs) who ran it were like, oh, look, come, come. But, you know, because you haven't paid, you've got to be out near the toilets. Um, And, you know, you'll be lucky if a few people come past. Well, we had a lineup of people that was at least three hours long for the entire time we were there. And at that point, I went, wow, there's actually, we actually have really reached people. And I think it's because... For Australians, for Australian gamers, you know, to see people who are as passionate about what they're as passionate about reflected back at them on the national broadcaster, you know, it's it's a it's just a fabulous thing for them and for us. Mm. So it hasn't all been, you know, just blockbuster games. You have been real champions of the indie game scene as well. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, um, some of the things that interest you about that in Australia? Yeah, I mean, um, you guys down in Melbourne, of course, Melbourne is like the home of, um, of indie game development at the moment, and they're doing such amazing things. But, you know, we always, I always wanted to have a very um, supportive attitude, if you like, towards anything that's happening in Australia. Mm. So, um, you know, when the industry, I mean, mainly because of sort of, you know, fluctuations in the dollar, the sort of AAA industry folded in Australia, and there was really what arose out of that was this incredible um, indie development scene and mobile development scene, and they are kicking goals. I mean, you know, we punch way above our weight. And so for us, it was it, that's such a glorious thing to celebrate that this great success that Australian developers are having now and have, and have been having for five years or so, and that has gone alongside with the sort of the growth of the program. So it's, mm. it's you know, really a great a great team there. Mm. So there has been a real uh, maturation of the, of the discussion about games. Um, people mm. are no longer asking whether games are art. Um, but when when the Gamergate kind of you know nastiness mm. exploded on the world scene and and people had to address that, um, at, at what point did you think you know we need to say something about this? I thought that was quite um, an interesting point in the in the good game progression. It was, and it is absolutely the the number one reason why we wanted to start Pocket. And the problem with the Gamergate thing was when, I mean, you'll remember, but when it was happening, it was happening, it was moving so fast and things, you know, new things were coming out every day. And we were kind of locked into this once a week schedule, um, which really meant that every time we recorded lots of different things 
And by the time we actually got the chance to put it to air, it was outdated. Yeah. Um, and it, and that was so, so frustrating because we really knew that we were not doing a good job of actually covering that whole issue at the time. And we were called on it as well. Like, you know, lots of people were like, where the hell are you guys? Mm. You know, you should be saying something. Um, and so now, I mean, it, it was too late really for the real, um, real fierce time that Gamergate was underway but yeah. now that we've got Pocket we would be able to address it in a more way more um, appropriate way and of course you know we famously um, did did on Pocket and used mm. a very rude word <laughs> which is not a word that you normally hear on the agency. No. <laughs> That's so interesting I've never heard that that reasoning behind um, you know your place in that discourse and that makes mm. a lot of sense to us, you know, being a weekly uh, technology radio show ourselves. We do see those opportunities fly by and, and think about, oh, have we missed the window of interest to comment on this or that? That's um, Yeah, that... and you're just left feeling out of date, aren't you? And that's there's nothing more frustrating when you've actually been absorbing all of this every single day and you've got so much you want to say. Amazing, amazing. Mm. So um, mm. we love Good Game Pocket. You know, we're a big fan of Nick and, uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned uh, Barjo and Hex, who, we, who we're fans of too. But, um, yeah, when, when you uh, are starting to cover cross formats there how do you manage that with your team you know are you really having to um, have different sorts of editorial and production meetings well it's it's such a sort of wonderful story it's a similar story to sort of almost gaming in a way in that you know technology has marched on when you think about the show 10 years ago and you had to make broadcast television it meant that you had to use a huge camera that was you know really expensive and you had to edit it in an edit machine that was hugely expensive and it meant that it kept it all in a very sort of you know professional and and um it, you know you could only really do it at the abc with the, with the huge amounts of equipment that was needed well nowadays you know we shoot the program on a on a canon camera which is just you know, a couple of I mean, still a couple of thousand dollars, but it's the same camera that you can buy in any shop. We edit it on a laptop using software that's available to anybody, and then that has meant that it's made the whole process number one quicker, but also cheaper, um, which has meant that we have been able to lift the amount of. Um, gaming content that we can create with the same team and, and alongside all of that the team have just they're just incredibly skilled I mean we all we all can use a camera we can all mm. edit a little bit and then you know I like to think of it as a sort of a, like a concentric circle of good game if you like like in the middle and always will be will be the good game the TV show which is still has the production values of the show that it's always had you know it's still beautifully edited yes. and it has a sound mix and it's color <laughs> graded and all of that stuff whereas pocket you know we shoot at 11 o'clock in the morning and we upload at one o'clock in the afternoon you know <laughs> so, so it's, it's interesting different models of mm, development i guess mm. <laughs> yeah and, and i mean we're, now that we're seeing kind of you know 10 years down the track youtube allows people to do what you guys do with pocket and all of that kind of thing is it is it are you seeing like discourse between you guys and you know the the kind of person in their bedroom making their own videos that kind of stuff do you do you have relationships with that kind of community Oh, we totally do, and they're amazing and you know i I, I do laugh because you know I'm actually um and so I go to these YouTube creator days <laughs> where I'm I'm in there with, you know, the likes of the amazing YouTube creators in, in Australia oh, who are it. so brilliant and they work so hard and they've got 
you know, gazillion more subscribers than we have. <laughs> and I'm like the old nana in the room. But, um, yeah, it's, we've got so much to learn from them. I mean, the, I think that the interesting thing about, or the brilliant thing about YouTube is it means everybody can, you know, make their show and put it up. It, getting an audience is the hard thing. Um, and that's where we can learn from them, I think, about how they do things and what, what gets likes on YouTube. And I do think there's a, you know, a YouTube audience has different expectations to a television audience. And yet we're still the ABC. So yes. we still have to maintain some kind of ABC-like, you know, aspects to our program. You walk a very <laughs> nice line there. That's great. So well, speaking we, about... We get to experiment. Yeah. <laughs> speaking about finding an audience, um, there was an interesting fact about how you decided to screen Good Game on a Tuesday night. Could you tell us about that? <laughs> sure. So this goes way back to when I actually wrote the proposal for the program. And I was very specific. I said, the show has to go to air on a Tuesday night. <laughs> and the, the all the grown-ups at the ABC were like, oh, you know, why? And I said, well, that's because um, at the time, 10 years ago, you know, we were all playing World of Warcraft. And on a Tuesday night, the servers got shut down. Uh, people, uh, regular players <laughs> of that game will remember and we were just so frustrated as gamers, you know, because that's what you did every night. You went home and you did your race and you, you know, you had a great time with World of Warcraft. Tuesday night you couldn't play it. So I'm like, I'm going to create a show about games, put it on on a Tuesday night and give all those WoW players an alternative. Love it. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's some fantastic market research that you did there. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And they, they kind of went, oh, yeah, all right then, Janet. You know? <laughs> so we'll go along with that. Cool. So, so ja ja Janet... um. 10 years, how do you celebrate 10 years of Good Game? How are you guys actually, are you having the parties? Are you going out and getting loose? What's happening? Well, we are having a few a few parties, but the biggest one we actually had last Friday, and, you know, this is a show that's been on air for 10 years. You know, we have never used um, what's called the control room, which is how most television programs are made. You know, lots oh. of cameras go up to the control room. Yeah. It gets switched up there, and then the program gets, you know, output. We've never used it. We only ever use one camera. We've never had a floor manager, or we've never had more than one camera even. Oh, occasionally we have two. <laughs> But we did, we had an extravaganza in the studio, <laughs> live guests. Get, you know, we had our audience there. It was amazing. We had a band. Wow. Um, a, a, Melbourne viewers will be very familiar with the band because uh, they were out, you know, we, we absolutely adore them, Tripod. And uh, oh, so yeah. they came up, yeah, yeah, and they were part of it and lots of special guests. But, you know, having the actual uh, audience there, they yeah. had to... They were all prize winners. They had to send us a birthday card. And uh, if we liked the card, then they got two tickets to come. And uh, <laughs> they were amazing. Fantastic. Well, so so uh, I guess our listeners can look forward to seeing that on ABC next Tuesday evening. Is that correct? They can. It's actually on at a special time. It's oh. on at 7.30, not 8.30. Okay. Um, so that's, oh, I hope everyone remembers to come a bit <laughs> earlier. But it is an hour long. An hour long. So... Uh, it's pretty funny. If anyone's seen our live shows, there's some elements of that in it. There's, uh, Andrew Hansen is, yeah. <laughs> we cannot wait. Um, thank you for being such a true believer in games and helping to bring this groundbreaking game show to uh, Australian TV. That's fantastic. Janet, um, have a great birthday celebration. Thank you so much, guys. Really love talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank okay, you. bye.
We're pretty excited because there are artists in the house. There's sparkles, there's sequins. That's how we know there's creatives here. And we're a little uncomfortable and kind of aroused, I think. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, um, definitely, definitely both yeah. of those things. <laughs> so we are thrilled to be joined by some people who are here from the Melbourne Fringe Festival, specifically from the virtual reality program that's going to be there this year. We have uh, Thalia Livingston, who's a festival volunteer. We have Sarah-Jane Woolahan who's an award-winning Melbourne director across many genres, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And we also have Jonathan Homsey, who's um, an artist, a dancer, you know, a producer, and the way he transcends different art areas um, in his biography had me completely intimidated. So welcome to studio, guys. That Hello. is an introduction. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. I'm uncomfortably aroused as well. That's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that happens to us geeks a lot, but, you know, we, we can be comfortably, uncomfortably around. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It is the full moon on Friday, so. Look, so it really does feel like um, there has been a moment in time where suddenly VR has become accessible to the masses and a lot of us are curious about it and we know it's out there, but we're not really sure what to expect of VR experiences. Um I wonder, Sarah-Jane, if you could maybe speak to us about, you know, what we can expect from you, what you're contributing to the VR uh, part of the Fringe Festival this year. Uh, well, uh, I have made my very first VR film uh, and I uh, happened upon the, uh, reading about the festival, the Fringe Festival, and went, it's, this seems like an opportunity to try it because, as you said, I've read about it and have seen this sort of growing interest in VR and I just the only way to understand it is to really have a go. So I have made a 10-minute narrative film that is uh, takes a, a first-person point-of-view perspective where it's kind of a day in the life. Uh, and you hear, I guess, uh, the anxieties, the inner voice, the anxieties and the obsessions of uh, this, this character. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I guess the reason why I was really interested in how, the, uh, how immersive it is and you really feel like... Uh, you really are inhabiting another body or you're inhabiting another world. And so I wanted to just really play with play with that. Yeah. And, and Jonathan, what about you? What are you bringing to the table this time? For me, I really loved virtual reality because it kind of takes the immersive theater experience and makes it more accessible. Um, I applied. I really wanted to do a work in this tennis court in Brighton. And, you, you know, when you see a venue, you're like, I need to make this work. But there's no way I'm going to have a, you know, a private showing in someone's backyard of a tennis court. But I was like, if I have it through virtual reality, everyone can be there there and everyone can experience a choreographed work on a tennis court so it's something you know that virtual reality cinema is really providing especially theater makers as myself that i want to make something immersive but i need to make it accessible to everyone and stuff like this it could go to regional areas it could really just exponentially grow which is really exciting for theater makers and also gives us time to rest so i can actually watch it instead of worrying backstage (laughs) i think that's really true it's almost more like theater than it is film and that's what i've noticed during this process and i've heard someone describe it as intimate theater with an invisible audience or something yeah because it's like because when i started choreographing and you probably had the same process sarah you you put the camera in the middle of the space but it makes it so different you feel like this kind of like poltergeist protagonist right in the middle of it like just I know we use this word a lot in Melbourne immersive but it really is it really is immersive and you guys really have to check it out it's coming on for three weeks you really got to see it that's great um when you talk about putting a camera in the middle there I can see how uh, powerful that might be to be taking in so many things. But I also, you know, the technical part of my brain starts thinking about the challenges of that because the challenges for editing, how do you take things out of a shot if you're filming 360? Yeah, that was incredibly annoying. And I spent like the first time just like, I don't know, the first 
week or so that I had with the camera, just realizing slowly that it was completely different than anything I've done before. And the idea of this was that it was, you know, it's my, it was my eyes. I was actually filming my body. Uh, and I had to end up, I was wearing a headpiece with the camera sort of sitting above my head. But of course the camera can see behind your head. And so it sees the rig. It sees the little attachment at the base of the camera. So I ended up having to wear like a long black wig over the rig and just like slowly working out how to make it all the, all the, the technique invisible. Yeah, yeah. And what, and lighting yeah. and things? There was, it was very minimal on the lighting. We went for a more gorilla punk approach with, um, with all those things. So really like I'm used to working on crews with quite a number of people, but it was yeah. really just me and the camera and a, a few, a, a few people that I brought in to perform. So Sarah Jane, we, um, you know, our listeners might have seen some of your work, uh, from music videos for people like Silverchair, Missy Higgins and Evermore. And, you know, that's a very, um, refined medium, I guess, by now. You know, people, people have expectations about a music video. How did you feel trying to approach this? And, you know, did you use any of those, those kind of processes that you'd put into play to make other things and kind of repurpose them here? Or did you have to throw them all out? Yeah, I feel like it was completely different to that. It was, this is, that is like, uh, as you say, it's like a very specific type of production. It's very controlled. You're often working with a lot of different people, but this was really more like an art experiment with myself. I originally, when I first, uh, spoke to, to Mikey at the fringe, I had these ideas that it would be performers and I would script it very specifically. And that sort of went all out the window and it became this sort of ongoing process of, I attach the camera to my head and I'll walk around and just see what happens and how does it, how does it look when you kind of move and slowly realize all the things that I thought that you would do just didn't actually work. Yeah. Yeah, things like I'd imagine point of views moving down the street and as soon as I looked that back at uh, and watched that back, it felt like you were levitating and it oh, made you feel amazing. sick. Yeah, amazing. Just, yeah. So, yeah, so eliminating and just sort of taking things away became the process. So, Jonathan, did you have a similar experience in having to, to relearn things or throw away, like, processes that you had? For me, it was, I really love, like, I, I know you guys watch theatre. I love watching what the background people are doing. So there might be the pregnancy <laughs> in the front, but I want to see what that little person in the corner is doing. And I feel in VR, you can almost glorify those people. So I really took that to my advantage. So I have a protagonist that moves throughout the space, and there's dancers throughout the space. But I also use some of my friends from Club Kid Culture in the space doing some very quirky things things, which you'll have to find out to go there. I'm not going to tell you. But it does involve some obese cats and some sponge cake. So, just a hint. So, if um, people come to your experience, you're really encouraging them not to just find one narrative necessarily. Yeah, because you can also, obviously there's choreography that I would love for you to watch, but there's still things for you to watch when you turn around. And what does that mean when you turn around and what is that, how do you feel involved in that action? It's almost like when your mom says, look that way in church and you want to look at the back of the, you know, back of the pews and see what's going on there. It's like you really get this because <laughs> you have the freedom. You're not being chose to look in one direction. Like you have, it's, it's like theater anarchy, which is great. So in film, uh, I think that we'd probably be surprised how well we've been trained by the conventions of film, you know, to, to look and put our attention where the director has decided that we shall with, with lighting, with editing and, you know, with music and, and the way they do this. With VR, the experience I've had is that, um, depending on how people have done things, it can be aimless or it, or for some reason with that I'm not sure, I know that my attention should be over here or, oh, wait, I'm missing something. Where am I missing something? How much have you thought about that kind of user experience type of thing and, and about controlling that? Or have you, you know, 
I guess, have you thought about controlling it or have you taken the opposite approach? I think I have that main, there is the foreground, but I made sure in every iota of the background there's something going on. So no matter where you look, there was something enjoyable, entertainable, or something intellectually stimulating, yeah. which I love that challenge. I wanted something everywhere. And it's like little quirks, almost like where's Wally? Yeah. Like if I turn around and go away from the protagonist, am I going to see anything interesting? And the answer is, I think so, yes. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, Janet, have you taken the same approach, do you think? Um, I guess what I was at the beginning what I wanted to do was actually have banal VR that was kind of the idea it's like, because like <laughs> VR is always it's like spectacle and it's animation and it's yeah. effects so I thought like what if, if it was just actual virtual reality of a very mundane ordinary life and the whole point being to sort of feel like you're in a real person's body so it's like total realism VR like virtual virtual reality yeah <laughs> that's interesting I mean I imagine you've heard about this slow TV trend that's coming yeah. coming to Netflix soon it's been it's been syndicated uh, so in Norway there's a massive there's massive success with slow TV where they film people just um, experiencing a train going through scenery or a crackling fire I've have seen you, the crackling fire this? thing before. Yeah. Like that's something that like we're kind of familiar with, I guess, because you know people put it on to create ambience. But this idea, Eddie that, Murphy yeah, and Eddie, dating that, that's comedies, exactly what yeah. I was thinking, Eddie Murphy and Boomerang. Like, yes. Just let's, let's forget that movie okay. ever happened. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, like this idea that kind of the mundanity of life can be made exciting purely because it's being recreated on a screen is a really interesting idea. And, and maybe it's in those slow moments that you feel more immersed. That's what I was. I, I really enjoyed. Like there's one scene that's just traveling in the car and I'm playing music and my daughter's in the back and it's sort of the sun's going down a bit and it's just, it feels like I, I would never normally want to put that, that into anything but it actually just sort of felt real and I, when I watch it, it's kind of, it feels really weird to me because it's a very normal part of life made into uh, this sort of impressionistic thing that can be watched through a headset. I don't know, I can't explain it but I, so it's, it's the opposite of what I'm normally into spectacle and drama and over-the-top <laughs> things. But it's, it's all kind of realism. And it's funny because I'm the opposite. A lot of my like visual art and performing art practice is very subtle dancing based on very minimal movement and then here when I was VR I was like I am going gung-ho go ham as we say in America <laughs> even though I'm vegetarian but I just <laughs> like go every option I can which is really funny how it pushed both our practices to go the opposite it's and really also just me performing I wouldn't normally do that but it became ne uh, necessary because it was experiment like it was too new to rope other people into this activity because I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> I feel like it, we're almost at one of those birth of punk moments where people like you are inventing how we're going to work with a, a new, you know, type of media. Does it feel like that for you or, you know, have you gone out and tried to immerse yourself in other people's VR work to try and see what's possible? It feels like it's, I, it's really new for me. It's like brand new. I, I saw uh, things at MIF. I tried the HTC Vive a little yeah. bit before that. So this is, it's only a few months of being really aware of it as a, like a, an art form. And, but just reading all the articles, there's like a, a lot of excitement. And what I really do love about it is how helpful everyone is as a community because it's so new. Everyone's excited. They want to lend equipment. Like the, the, the Fringe Festival gave me the camera to use. They ran workshops that you, you could always write to them about technical things and they were solving. So this is really supportive, excited atmosphere. Around yeah, because I've atmosphere. never made yeah. a VR film and they basically held my hand, little bikes on training wheels and really like guided us, I know for myself, in the right direction and just really just was a comfortable place to experiment. Yeah, it was really great. But I think that happens when a medium is new like and everybody wants to see it evolve. They want to see the language developed and yeah, like it it's it's makes it more fun to be part of and, and also to be free to experiment, I think, which is exciting. So when I first experienced VR, I um, I had this 
sudden wish that Werner Herzog had had done some stuff in here because it just seemed like such an experience that he would really excel at. Have you thought about who your dream people to collaborate with on something in VR might be now that you've had a bit of experience? Um, I think I think it's more like who maybe not working with but watching. Like for me, mm-hmm. I love the stuff in the Royal Swedish Ballet and stuff like that. And how do how do we access that across the world? And I really love VR as a dialogue for accessibility. I think there's a beautiful artists in regional areas that don't get to see a lot of stuff, and vice versa. And how do we get to see each other more than just watching the YouTube or watching the Vimeo? Like I know for me, Alexander Ekman, please, I want to meet you one day. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I want to see it in real life. But when am I going to be able to get to the Royal Swedish Ballet that's a lot of you know whatever Swedish air miles I don't know whatever, <laughs> whatever I need for that so I think accessibility is that is the fantasy I want to work with yeah I'd like to see what Charlie Kaufman would write for oh. um, yeah for VR I guess and that was like the, one of the ins- inspiration points is looking at like being John, being John Malkovich or even the opening opening scene of adaptation where it's really introspective and you uh, sort of inhabiting another person, so I think you could do something pretty fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. Would you? Would you guys do it again? Would you do VR again? I'm going to do it again, and yesterday, and tomorrow, and every Sunday. <laughs> it's it's really great. Cool. Have, have you had any ideas about what that might be? Not yet. Um, I think saving money for some equipment is probably the first step. <laughs> Even though Mikey's been great, he probably can't give us free equipment forever. I'll have to take off my training wheel soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'd like to, I need to watch more and absorb, but I, I, I'm really interested in drama and how it, it is different, I guess, in the VR world, like, and how you can have agency and play with perspective. And, uh, so I guess, so reading a lot, watching a lot more, and then devising something, uh, script wise with a, less experimenting and more like really thinking through it conceptually. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm sort of hoping to do. So I guess, you know, from both of your, um, quite different perspectives, they've still been both very artistic perspectives. Uh, but I do know that, that within the program, there are some quite documentary style and, um, almost historical kind of retellings of, of things going on. Have you been able to see any of the other parts of the program? Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. I've seen we've se- I've seen some samples in the yeah. Saturday workshops, which were great. Um, there was a beautiful music video. I wish I could talk about the artist. It was a beautiful acoustic band. Talia might know better than I will. Um, and there was some really there was a virtual reality where you actually were running, and it actually I felt I was tripping out. That was that was that was really <laughs> buzzy. Yeah. And do you think that you'd have an interest in working at the side of um, VR where you have to create the environment in which? You work rather than sort of filming something and then putting things in that environment, I guess. There's something like, I know Alison Bennett, who's been with you guys before, she yeah. does some great virtual reality oh, stuff. And amazing. Something combining like a live dialogue amongst like those 3D immersive worlds. Um, I know the coding would be like insane. <laughs> like there's not even a word to articulate the insanity that would be needed. But that's something that would be amazing. Like mm-hmm. to have like these, like to have a hologram 3D Michael Jackson I'm dancing right next to him. I don't know. The self-indulgent references could never end for me with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's live action. The challenges are, are much greater. So there's, there's a, you can see that the innovations will probably happen in animated environments because you're saying because of the coding necessary so that you'll have more agency and interaction. But I, my love is live action, I think. So 
Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> so it sounds like for this particular experiment, you know, the hardware, um, the festivals really helped you kind of get up to speed with that. What what specific hardware are you using for this? For I this? know for me, I was on the Samsung 360, Same, which yeah. was really easy to stitch. So they had the two 180s and then they would simply put it through the computer and a lot of rendering and me sitting with lots of cheese watching it render. Um, but yeah, it was definitely very easy to stitch. I thought it was going to be a lot more daunting, but it was a lot more friendly than I expected with the Samsung technology right yeah it, with that you can actually uh, with the, an app on the phone it can actually be stitched it's not the best quality but it's like it's pretty accessible to be sort of testing and trying so i imagine a lot of people will be starting to use those sort of cameras they've only just been released i think yeah. like two weeks ago or and something. the funny part is yeah. is like i was like how am i gonna i need to film the whole thing when am i gonna escape but i was like oh wait i can control via the phone so i was like in the in the living room watching the set about you know, 30 meters away. Oh, wow. So I didn't have to be, because obviously if I was, if I hit play, then I would be in frame. Yeah. So I can be off frame, hit play, and then the whole set can go. Um, it was a bit hard because obviously there was like a half second delay. So making sure they were in time with the music. Oh, right. I had to actually watch them. Um, as opposed to watching my phone, but I think it's because I'm just so particular about the musicality. Uh, but w- when you watch it like back, not on the live preview, it's it was very much in sync. Uh, I think, well, I guess syncing audio and dancing and things has been a problem forever. So <laughs> yes, it it's has. kind of funny to, to hear. It's still a problem. <laughs> yeah, it definitely still is. <laughs> oh wow. And, and did you? I, I actually that? had to get uh, like strangers to see if the numbers were rolling on from, by looking at the top of my oh, head wow. because I was <laughs> so completely by myself. So I, I'd like I say, can you see numbers? Can you see numbers moving? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, I'll roll because I just was oh. shooting in public places and. Whatever. I just love this. I love this <laughs> feeling of groundbreaking technology and and human you know, Google cars is what I'm imagining. It, you know, it's scary. Someone, yeah, someone made that comment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's scary and it's imperfect, and we're discovering so much at the moment. And also, art is scary and imperfect, and that's the way it should be. And then it gets us out of our practice and having a good time, which is the whole point. Oh, I love it. I didn't know that about the remote controls. It makes perfect sense. Um, has anyone combined, you know, our love of drones with with the VR experience? Mikey actually offered something. I remember when we had our first workshop, he was like, you can't put this, put the VR on a toy car and then you can move the toy car. But I was like, that is a Pokemon level that is a little too advanced for me. Maybe number two or three. I'll stick to um, protagonists, you know, in the middle. But one day I would love to, you know, bring the, you know, put it on the toy car and move it around. That would be really fun. I think um, something that film has always brought so wonderfully is putting yourself in somebody else's point of view how do you feel about the 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 difference in point of view that you can achieve when you're working with with VR well I, it's completely different that was the thing that really fascinated me that yeah. uh that you obviously a normal point of view well even I, I guess it's also just like when you see in cinema you're aware of another world just in that first step you you're aware of an environment but I really felt when you put those goggles on that I'm inhabiting a complete universe and that's like that's that immersion is really fascinating and then to be able to be moving with and seeing hands and oh uh, yeah it's a, um, a lot of the, the really interesting VR films that are coming out at the moment are really driven by that perspective and it's about generating empathy around um, experiencing what it's like to be in a refugee camp like, uh, or uh, what it's like to be in solitary confinement and that, that there's, those projects really interest me definitely yeah. Yeah. Jonathan do you have do you have anything to add to that Jonathan? Um, I totally just based about the question because I was so fascinated. I actually imagined being um, in solitary confinement. Can you please ask me the question again? <laughs> it was just more about you know when you when you think about the point of view and the feeling of a point of view compared to being in a film. You know how do how's that making you think? 
I think for me, it, it goes go back again to accessibility. I think it's because originally my practice, I did, I'm a street dancer and I taught in inner city Los Angeles and there's a lot of stuff they couldn't reach. And I feel like letting them have the immersive experience no matter where they are, that's the point of view I'm really passionate about. Um, cause there's lots of a beautiful immersive theater that could be an arts house or any of the, the houses, as I call them. Um, but you may not have the money to see it. And I think virtuality can bring those to such more audience development, which is so fascinating and so great because everyone has the right to see amazing art. So, Jonathan, what's the name of your piece that's going to be in the in the VR program at Melbourne Fringe? Speaking of arousing, it's called I Want to Be Intimate Again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Sarah-Jane? Um, I'm going nowhere. Fantastic. I love I love these kind of powerful statements. Now, I think it's it's time for us to um, let Thalia have some mic because she is a festival volunteer and actually across more than just, you know, one piece of VR and, and actually across the whole program. So, Thalia, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. How did you get involved with the festival? Um, well, I recently moved to Melbourne. I was looking uh, on Gumtree for furniture nearby and this <laughs> advert popped up. Um, they needed volunteers for the Virtual Reality Film Festival. Um, I have a background in architecture as well as performance, so it's right up my alley. I went around there to help out a little bit and I've spent the last three weeks there, basically. Um, yeah, we had our preview last night that went amazingly. Um, a representative from Creative Victoria picked up one of the um, programs within the first 15 minutes. Um, everyone was very impressed. Everyone got quite tipsy. Yeah, it was really great. That's, that's um, how the opening of it yeah, should be. Yeah, it's been an amazing process to be a part of, just meeting all the different artists. And, yeah, it's just so exciting because it's so experimental and everyone's in it together. It's really collaborative. Yeah. So can you tell us um, when the festival's running? Yeah, so tonight's opening night. And we have um, – it runs for three weeks from Wednesday to Saturday – and there's three sessions every night. And the programs have different shorts in them. So you can look up on the website, virtualrealitycinema.com.au, and there you can choose from a music program, a documentary program, or a combination of different shorts. But we have a little description about what they'll be on the website. Excellent. And what's the venue that all of these things are happening it's, at? It's um, on Johnston Street, 178. Yeah. Beautiful, in Collingwood. Yeah, so in nice Collingwood. and central <laughs> to everybody. Uh, tickets are $14.00. Uh, per series of shorts, so that's you know multiple kind of experiences. Yeah, they're that you about get twenty that. minutes long each session. So. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of that's amazing value, I think, for this groundbreaking technology. Thanks so much for coming in and sharing all of that with us. Um, I'm kind of even more excited than when we started. So um, Sarah Jane, Jonathan, Thalia, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. We have a really interesting opportunity this week. We do. Um, it's it's time to donate your old smartphone. I'm sure that uh, we've got old smartphones flying around um, to enable Australia's deafblind community to reconnect. Now, an estimated 288,000 Australians live with no hearing and sight and this number is predicted to rise to over 1 million by 2050. Now, it's interesting because uh, today in Sydney, the Australian and Communications Consumer Action Network was having their conference and there was a lot of discussion about accessibility for mm. deafblind people. Some really interesting stuff if you wanted to head to Twitter and uh, check out ACANNECT as a hashtag, that'll tell you more about it. But in the meantime, Mobile Muster and Able Australia are calling for all Australians to donate their old smartphones to support the deafblind community and help to reconnect them with family, friends and the wider community through smartphone technology. Yeah, so they really need, you know, working phones. It's, it's not about, you know, offloading your, your not working technology. But if you have have something working and you've you know upgraded past it and 
you you want to give it a good second life, then um, this is a great opportunity. Absolutely, you can you can um, drop your phone off at any mobile master drop off point, and you can donate an unwanted smartphone free of charge from anywhere in Australia. If you ju- if you jump online and head to mobilemaster.com.au/able, you can download their free reply paid label and put it in a post for you. Yeah, now I like to cover events here, and Dan, I wonder if uh, how you might be spending your weekend mm. because I feel like that might be a valid event for us. That could be a valid event. Um, I'm involved with a little uh, show for the Melbourne Fringe called Lose the Plot. It's part of the uh, open book series run by the Melbourne City of Literature with the incomparable Marion Blythe. We are going to be hosting a, an evening or four evenings of uh, improvised storytelling. We've got some of Melbourne's greatest creatives and storytellers to come down to our, our little uh, stage in Wick Studios in uh, Brunswick. Uh, this Friday we're going to be focusing on science fiction. So if You know you, we love sci-fi we, here we do, Yeah, just, just a little bit. Um, yeah. So if you head if you head down, uh, head to, excuse me, uh, facebook.com slash lose plot. Um, if you follow Byte on Twitter, we've been tweeting some links to it. Um, you can check out uh, there are shows this Friday, Saturday, and next Saturday at 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. We love to support our vols. Thanks to all our guests this evening, and do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.